Glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 23. <clears throat> Many of you have asked about the funeral for Cooper yesterday. Just, I think it might have been on the news, so you may have gotten info that way. But it was, it was good. I mean, funeral for a two-year-old is never great. Uh, Leanna, the mom, spoke, and she was a rock star. She did great. Everything she shared was solid. Um, very clear in where she is with the Lord and where she is with Ross. It was a great testimony to who she is in Christ and who Jesus is in her. So y'all can be proud of her for that. And Ross called in. That was obviously an emotional moment for the congregation. But overall, I thought it went as well as a funeral can go for a two-year-old. So thank y'all for praying. Uh, I would encourage you just to continue to pray for their family. There's a hearing scheduled for Thursday, and just pray, just pray for the things that I'm, people ask me, and I'm praying for truth and justice and mercy. Those are the things that I'm praying for, and again, we said last week, we can stand confidently praying for those things, because those things are the character of God. So I'd encourage y'all to continue to do that and look for ways to love the family as they continue to walk down all of this uh, this road. It's interesting, last week we had this, we're looking at Abraham, we're going to wrap Abraham up today. I feel like it's been a couple of months that we've been looking at Abraham's life. When you think Abraham, you think faith. I do, he's the father of faith, he's really the paradigm of faith throughout the entire Bible, not just in the Old Testament. He's obviously not the only person to express faith, but he's, he's uh, the prime example of what it looks like to be a man or a woman of faith. And last week there's this climactic scene with Isaac where God tests him with his only son. says, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham passes the test. We talked last week about this idea that it was real. And God learned something. He says, now I know that you, Abraham, fear me. It's this pivotal moment. Most, to me, the most important moment in Abraham's life was what we looked at last week. And today we're looking at a real estate transaction. So we're going way to the other end of the spectrum. It looks like when it comes to um, interest and um, importance, but we'll see what's here. So let's start in verse 20. This is a bit of a family tree that comes in to play next week. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She bore sons to your brother Nahor. So these are Abraham's nieces and nephews. Terrific names for some of you who are expecting. Uz, the firstborn. Buzz, his brother, rhymes. They could have had matching smock things. Kimuel, Kessid, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlath, and Bethuel. All right, here's what we want to know. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. She's very important. We'll see next week. She marries Isaac, Abraham's son. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Ruma, also had these other sons. The one we care about is Rebecca, and we'll see next week. And the point of all that is just to say that Isaac married within the family, which is very important for the continuation of um, God's promises to Abraham. Now, starting in chapter 23, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. Remember, she had Isaac at 90. So he's 37 years old when she dies. She dies at, in Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rode 
rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come up to the gate of the city, No, my lord, he said, Listen to me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people, bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will, I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord, The, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, this is a key idea, was deeded to Abraham as his property. So it was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Marmari, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Flip over to chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham was take, had taken another wife, so Sarah died. Um, Abraham continues to live. Abraham take another wife. Her name was Keturah. She bore him all of those people. We're going to flip. Verse 5, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, and he sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Remember, Isaac is the child of promise. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, near Marmre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahay Roy. So, wrapping up Abraham and Sarah. Real estate transaction, that's what it is. It's a real estate transaction. Why is it actually in the Bible? Out of everything that God could have inspired Moses to write, why this? Um, If you remember, one of the things that God promised to Abraham was land. You're going to have land. And up to this point, Abraham hadn't had any. He's rich beyond all measure. He has a massive amount of people who are considered his people in his household. But he's a wanderer. He says that. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. I don't have any real estate in this land. And it's true. He was a vagabond. He was a nomad. He had a ton of animals, and they just moved from field to field. He was a mighty prince, but he didn't have a place. 
And so when Sarah dies, where you're buried is a big deal, particularly in this culture. Uh, it's a, it was considered um, a, uh, an expression of honor to be buried with your ancestors. And what Abraham says is, well, I'm not going to take Sarah back to where we came from. I'm going to bury her where, in the land that God has promised to me in Canaan. It's a huge faith piece for Abraham. It's a demonstration of his faith that he says, rather than sending Sarah back home to where we were, where we're from, I'm going to bury her here where we are, even though God hasn't given us the land yet. I'm trusting that he's actually going to do that at some point. And as an expression of that trust, I'm going to bury my wife here, which is a huge deal. It would be like you sending someone you love and saying, I'm going to bury them in Japan, and you live here. Because at some point, it's like, God's going to give me Japan. And so you bury your loved one there as a expression, a concrete expression of faith that says we're going to be there one day and I'm going to be able to visit the grave in Japan. That's what Abraham is doing in a place where he's a stranger and a foreigner. The negotiations, they, they are what they are. They seem civil, pleasant. This whole 400 shekels, we don't know if that was fair or not, but Abraham was willing to buy it. It was all done in public in order to show, hey, this is Abraham's land. He now owns some real estate. It's small, but it's some real estate in the land that God had promised to him. So even towards the end of his life, Abraham was continuing to express faith in the promises that God gave him when he was 75 years old. And we see Abraham lives 100 years after his calling. He lives to 175, and then he dies and is buried in the same place as Sarah. So, what does that look like for us? What does that have to do? There's this concept that we see in Scripture. I'm going to use the word rootedness. I'm not actually sure it's a word, but that's what I'm going to use. Rootedness matters, and it matters to us. I got a rotisserie for Father's Day. Put it on top of my charcoal grill. I need some help trussing a chicken. That is not a skill that I've picked up along the way. If anybody knows how to truss, You can see me after. So the other day I'm trussing this chicken, and the key, they say, to rotisserie, according to my two uh, two weeks of knowledge, is brining. So you put salt on whatever you're cooking, and the longer the better. One hour is better than no hours. Eight hours is better than one. Overnight's better than eight. So I, I do that. Brine it. Don't truss it very well. Don't put it on the spit very well. But it still tastes really good because of the salt that was on the chicken and had time to work. We're called salt. Salt takes time to have an effect. Listen to this passage. This is in Isaiah. You've heard this before. Jesus uses this passage to talk about, or these verses, to um, clarify his own calling, and it's true of us as well. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Why? Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Listen to this. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. If you look 